Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of Kent and the Steering Team for another week. Once again, you're joined myself by myself, Phil, and my mate, Drew. Uh, unfortunately, Kent can't be with us this week. He's actually um, gone missing. He dropped a couple of uh, coins down the drain, but that's okay. Uh, anyway, on with the show. Uh, Mr. Drew, how are you? I'm feeling a lot better than I did last week. Excellent. How, Excellent. how are you? I'm really glad to hear that. Um, still got the cough. Besides that, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm counting down the days till my holiday. My, I'm going on my holiday to the US in less than a... No, in... in, in what is it? It's less than a fortnight. Jeez. That's... Wow, okay. We better get recording. <laughs> yes, because we have not pre-planned the episodes yet. Oops. No, we haven't. Oh, well. We will do what we did last time. We will scramble. And if we're lucky, we might even get the most successful episode out of it again. <laughs> yes, yeah, shows what happens when you just. Who cares? We no. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. Because that it's funny. That was the episode where we were like, "Oh God, what the? Oh, uh, what do we talk about what this we time? Doing? We've already done the other top tens. What's left for a top ten? Books. We're like books. <laughs> and it worked. It, it did. worked. It did. Worked really you, well. the audience, have eaten it up. Yeah. Well done. You let you absorbed it with your ear holes. Uh, Drew, while yes. you've been unwell, what have you been up to, Drew? What have I been up to, Philip? Well, funny you should ask. This feels so forced. I love it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I, I was very unwell, actually, and I was... You were, actually. You genuinely were. Like, we're not kidding. You were not well. No, I um, was pretty well knocked out, so... We had to cancel movie plans, even. We did, didn't we? Mm. We did. We did. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty crook. I couldn't leave my room for a few days. Um, could barely get out of bed aside from the the coughing fits that I think propelled me all around the house, um, <laughs> like like a like a balloon that's been let loose. That's, yeah, that's how just I felt. Pic- I'm picturing it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so being being trapped at home with my vast library of movies, I felt it appropriate to watch a few that I loved and at the very least one that I had not seen yet. One that you have been begging me to watch for mm-hmm. months and months and months. You and yes. every other person that has found out the atrocity that is the fact that I had not seen Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Thank God and you I watched finally- it! I did, I did, I watched it, and I really enjoyed it a lot, and I obviously... Alright, talk, talk me through it, okay, so it's a slow start, um, basically, uh, <coughs> long, the story goes... Long stagecoach ride... Yeah. Yep. No, yeah, you continue. Long stagecoach ride, yeah, 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 long stagecoach ride, um, criminals being taken to a town to be hung and hanged? Hung? I don't know, I, I like think it would be I feel hung, like it's actually hanged. Well, well, hung is is a correct term, but I think in the terms of when someone is being, I think it is hanged. I I, I think it's hanged. Yeah. Anyway, the woman is being hanged and, uh, taken to be hanged to stop off taken to be hanged. And they, uh, they pick up a couple more people along the way and then find themselves stopping at a haberdashery to bypass a storm, a a blizzard. Question, question for you. Yes. Isn't isn't a haberdashery? Isn't that a? Isn't that a? What's the word where you? What's the doing word? Isn't a habit? Isn't haberdashery something that you do? Yeah. So that confused me a little bit while I was watching the film as well, and then I thought, oh, okay, it must mean some kind of store as well, because it seems to make sense within this world. Um, yeah, I I thought haberdashery was some sort of art and craft thing that you do. <laughs> yeah. It just. It, it, it threw me for a little bit of a loop, but apparently it's a thing. Okay. Mm. We, we, we have not looked this up, clearly. No. Any, anyway, um, they find themselves trapped there with a number of other questionable beings, um, and some very interesting interplay ensues. I, I don't want to go into any more details because I'm sure many of you, like me, had not gotten around to seeing the film yet. And yes, I, I'm sorry to those of you who I offended with the fact that I hadn't watched it yet. I am sorry. Me. But yes, you and 
a couple of other people who shall remain nameless for now, mm. but who scolded me when they found out. Mm-hmm. Yes, but no, it, for whatever reason, I missed it in the cinema, and then I went and bought it the second it came out, and then never watched it. <laughs> what I love about the film, it's not a spoiler, but it, it's, no, no. it's one of the, the, the cool features about the film, <clears throat> is it has... Tarantino's really good at dialogue. He's so good at dialogue, like unbelievably good. He's probably one of the best dialogue writers I, I think I can think of. Um, it's just such real, conf- it. yeah. It's really interesting, but really real conversation. It just, it's just good conversation. Like you just love listening to it. And this film's really dialogue heavy. It's, it's like you're watching a stage play. What other plays there? It's like you're watching a play, um, and because it's like you're watching a play. They don't use many sets. They use, I think, it must be like th- three sets. The stagecoach, um, external shots of Out in the Blizzard, and then it's within the haberdashery. And everyone is on screen almost the entire time. So it feels very much like you're watching a play. It's so it good. Is, and it the- is essentially a play. When, you, when you're sitting there and mm. watching it... It's a play. That, that's and how the way the acts. It has the, yeah. the several chapters in it that act. They act as acts, and it it's used in a very clever way. It does break the scene to separate time, um, to set up new sort of things, even set up different different circumstances. So, for example, one section they'll be just all talking and just introducing each other. The next next um, chapter they'll be around the table eating dinner or something like that. Like, so they do use the chapters in a very sort of play or stage production way. Yeah. It's, um, they, he sets a scene really well. That's, I think that's what it is about it. And it's not even just this film. It's literally all his films are done that way. But I think this is the one time he allows it to really he, drive almost, it. Yeah, well, he's almost gone minimalist in the way he's done it to the point where it does actually feel like you're watching it being done on a stage. The, and and we mentioned, we were talking about it off air before, but um, the fact that before this film was put into production, while he was writing the script, the script got leaked. And when mm. the script, script got leaked, he was like, you know what, I won't make this into a film then. And he gathered as you said, most of the, the, the final cast together um, and sat around and read it in front of an audience as a script, uh, as a, as a <coughs> um, script reading session um, with everyone reading the, as their characters. And I think it was Samuel L. Jackson, who, who's in the film, walked up to him at the end of it and said, like, man, you have to make this into a movie. Like, it's good. Like, it's really good. And so he went, okay, you know what? It'll, I'll make it. Um, and he did. He made it, and it was fantastic. And and you should have seen it. See, the good thing about seeing it at the cinema was I got to see it in seventy mil, and it was the first film for a long time that had brought back this love affair with seventy mil. So it was so nice to see it in seventy mil, and it had the intermission in it because it was a much longer version of it. Let's um, let's talk about that for a minute, yeah. actually, um, about the seventy mil because I went and watched the the special features on the Blu-ray afterwards, and mm-hmm. they. There was an entire documentary just about the 70 mil. Mm. Now, for those of you out there that aren't aware about how film how film works, the film reel that most movies are shot on is set at a size of 35 millimeter film. Now, that's the standard. That's always been the standard. Um, that's what gives you that widescreen image on the computer. Or the yeah, geez, times times are gone along <laughs> computer. That's so sad. <laughs> on the television, we all watch on the computer now. It's just depressing, isn't it? It's I know. Even... I, still, I still try to watch things on the, on the TV screen. Yeah, where I so can. do I. Where I can. So do I. But I'm, but I'm also that dick that... I, I'm that dick that calls it films instead of movies. So <laughs> You also I, have a projector screen, though. So, you know. I, I do, but it's a digital projector. Yeah, true, 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 true. Although I do love it. Thank you again. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, 35mm is what gives you the widescreen image. Now, 70mm is... or Basically, this movie was actually shot on 65mm and projected onto 70mm. Um, what it is, 65mm is also the size used by IMAX. It actually produces a larger image. 
Now, what what it is, it's larger film cells and they're capturing more in the picture. Because the film cell is larger, they can go into greater detail. Now, is it, I have a question. Is it yeah, wider... Is it a wider aspect ratio on the, the 70 mil or is it just that it's capturing more and then altered or projected in a way that it's that kind of widescreen look or Cap- that, that aspect ratio? Uh, in this instance, it's all, they're two different things. So basically, the film is 70 or 65 mil, which is a much larger film. So they're mm-hmm. able to capture more detail in the picture. It's like going mm-hmm. up to the megapixels in a camera right you are capturing more now as far as as far as the angle and the aspect ratio go the aspect ratio is when they shot this film they shot it on a format called panavision super 70 that's what comes up on the screen before at the start of the film Yeah. yeah it is only the what did they say? I think they said it's only the 11th movie in history to be shot on Panavision Super 70. It's staggering that this film Which, exists if it's only the 11th film that doesn't. It's, the whole thing is, is rather staggering. Now, the previous film... Ba- basically, what happened, Quentin Tarantino and his cinematographer, they took a trip to Panavision. And they're looking around at everything and trying to work out what they want to do, blah, blah, blah. And they see these lenses just sitting in the corner there. And Quinton's gone, oh, what are those? And, or, well, it was either him or a cinematographer. They're like, oh, what are those? Oh, they're the, they're the old Super 70s. And they've gone, oh, we, we have to do it on that. Of course. Now, the last, the, those particular lenses that were used to shoot the movie, they were then retrofitted onto the cameras and and made to work for the the modern cameras for this film. The last movie they were used on was a film in 1966 called Khartoum with Charlton Heston and Laurence Olivier. <laughs> so those lenses sat there in Panavision's, you know, offices where they don't chuck anything away from 1966 through to whatever year they shot The Hateful Eight, which was 20... What, 2011, 2012? No, 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 2015, wouldn't it? The Hateful Eight? Sure. When did it come out? It came out, what, 2016? 2015 it came out. Or December December 2015, January 2016. Well, then it's 2013 or 14. Yeah. For filming. Yeah, so... Those lenses lay dormant for a very long time, but the thing about these lenses is that even though they're shooting on 65 and then projecting to 70, these Mm. lenses are the widest lenses ever made for film, and it creates the widest image ever projected for any movies. Proper letterbox. Yeah. More than letterbox, it actually stretches further than the letterbox format does real thin yeah so it's almost like panoramic <laughs> well yeah it, it's actually pretty it, i think the closest that you would find to it would be the old cinema scope if you've ever watched some really good old films from the 40s 50s and 60s some of the the big productions were shot in cinema scope mostly westerns and a few musicals i a nagging feeling the sound of music was shot on it because the sound of music does have 70 mil prints run running around as well um ben hurl lawrence of arabia they were all shot in these kinds of very wide formats as well and that's what tarantino was going for he wanted it to feel like an event like going to these old movies and you said when you went to see it you saw the 70 mm. mil print and they had an intermission didn't they correct and did you get the correct. program guide correct yep Yep, you got the whole experience. The idea mm-hmm. was that they took it on a road show. That was what they. That's wanted what it to was. It was the the Hateful Eight road show. Yep. And that's just something that's not done anymore. It's amazing, but they just don't do it. No, that's right. He wanted to make an event out of it, and you know it hasn't been an event to go to the cinemas for a very long time. And, you know, we, we talk it, a lot about the fact that we love our movies and blah, blah, mm. blah, but this is why we love it, for these sorts of things. Yeah, it was really special going to it. It's it's almost like, a, 
you almost have to force yourself into having an event by going to the cinemas when you go to things like Lux or when you go to things like Extreme Screen or things like that. Other than that, it's it's still an amazing experience to go and see a movie, but it's not it's not amped up around. The atmosphere is not amped up enough. It's why we like going to um, midnight showings and things like that mm. because we still like the idea of going to an event. It's why we, you know, we're, it's why we went to that Lord of the Rings marathon a year ago. You know, mm. it's, we, it's being likewise uh, like-minded people in yeah. a place that's good fun and it's just a laugh and it's relaxing and it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And, and this film embodied that. I, I really felt that. And even though I wasn't watching it in the cinema, I didn't see it in, in those sorts of um, experiences. I still got to enjoy what he was, what he was aiming for. I, I still got to appreciate that from the comfort of my own room it, it was quite mm. nice and yeah I'd, as for the film itself brilliantly cast every actor clearly appreciated what they were doing there and they understood how special the story was they, i can't remember if it was the first film that i'd seen there were three films kind of back to back to back that i'd finally started seeing kurt russell in again because he was gone for a long time from films it was it was Deepwater Horizon Hateful Eight and um Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 before that he kind of disappeared for a while so it was great to see him on screen again yeah I can imagine that would have been nice to see mm. he um he's a very talented one do you know much of the history of him no not really can he tell. was a child actor for the Walt Disney Company and really? Walt Disney himself, yeah, well, Walt was a massive fan of his, and Walt took him under his wing, and he used to spend a lot of time around the Walt Disney Studios just hanging out with Walt Disney. See, that's crazy. He'd some, have some amazing stories. It was sort of like, like an uncle-nephew sort of thing going between them. It was like, like the son he never had, and and... Kurt would just hang out in Walt's office and just follow him around to meetings and whatever, and Walt would put him in the films and whatever. It just went from there. He was the golden boy of, of that era of Disney live-action films. That's fantastic. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's how he got his start. And um, it makes perfect sense, because then in the 80s, he's one of the voices in The Fox and the Hound. He is! Yes, I thought he was. Yeah, he's... Um, I just started picturing it then. Yeah. What's the the, the the greyer one? He's... Is he copper or is he... Yeah, Todd? not the... F- he's one of them. No. Yeah, not Fox. The other one. Hang on, I'm looking it up now. Thank you, because I, I can't remember who was who. No, Todd was the Fox. Mickey Rooney copper. and Kurt Russell. Here we go. So he was... Yeah, he was Copper. Yeah. Mickey Rooney was Todd. Yeah. And... Oh, and fun fact about that movie. um, One of the um, animators on that film, though I believe he remains uncredited on there, one of the animators was Tim Burton. That's crazy. Yep, weird little... That's really crazy. Weird little fact. Um, Tim Burton was an animator on The Fox and the Hound because that was during his stint at Disney in the 80s. And look at him now. I know, right? Yep. Wow. So Kurt Russell came over there. What do you think of his character? I, I liked his brashness. I couldn't... Like, I, I was completely fixated. I, I couldn't take my eyes off any scene with him. And the dialogue between him and Sam Jackson just made mm-hmm. it for me. It was them. It was Bruce Dern had me on the edge of my seat. Mm-hmm. I, I love Bruce in anything and everything. My favorite role of his is still in the burbs with, um, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher, mm-hmm. where he plays one of the nutty neighbors, but yeah, he was excellent from his chair. Um, Eli, is it, no, not Eli Roth, uh, Tim Roth, Tim Roth, the Brit. <laughs> uh, playing, uh, what's his name, um, Mulberry. Yes. What the was hangman. his first name? 
something ridiculous. Os- Oswaldo. Oswaldo. Oh, no, Oswaldo. Yeah, he was nuts. Oswaldo Melbury. I, I love him. He just... Did you ever watch him in that show, Lie to Me? No. Oh, no, yeah. I might... No, I did. I did. Yeah. Did I? Back yes, when he, I think I did. Back when he had a show where he was like a human lie detector. <laughs> I think I must have. Because I can picture his face. It's the kind of show you would watch. Yeah. And the name yeah. is really familiar to me. I think I must have. Yeah, I he was excellent. I I mean they they were all excellent, but the standouts mm. for me was him, Bruce Stern, um, Kurt Russell, Sam Jackson, obviously. Walter Goggins was interesting. Yeah, I I like I I like him a lot, but yeah, he, <coughs> he was, came he across was interesting. The real cavalier kind of Yahoo. <laughs> His character arc was not one that I predicted. I, I, I won't... I don't want to get into spoilery territory for the mm-hmm. end of the film or anything, but... His no, was, it's not... I know. Yeah. His was... You, I, I didn't expect that at all. So that Yeah, was, I completely understand that. Yeah. Th- so that was interesting. I, I kind of liked that I did not predict the ending of the film by any means. That, that made mm-hmm. me pretty happy. I kind of just... I, I assumed it would go a certain way, but it took a, a different way of getting there yeah um, but but and that was that's nice about it is that despite the fact that it is not the most uh complicated story it's still twists and turns yeah and and we were talking about this a, a little bit off air um the fact that you know he's been making these westerns for the last the last two movies have been westerns but really a lot of his films have that kind of framework already well, Glorious Bastards was a spaghetti western. Yeah, just in in the format of Nazi Germany. Uh, even Kill Bill, which is steeped in this history of martial arts films, still feels like a western when when you strip it right down. Um, yeah, Pulp Fiction operates like like a modern day western. Yeah, yeah, it it's true. Functions it just functions in suits rather than the cowboy gear. Even mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs feels like a Western. So really, he's been making Westerns his entire career. It's just that now he's being upfront about it. Yeah, It started exactly. when he dipped his toe in with Django. And I feel like he, he just... It's like he really wanted to realize that idea when he made The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Where would you, where would you, place, uh, where would you place Hateful Eight in, his, in the grand scheme of things for, for Tarantino movies? His eight films... Do you, yeah, well, this is why we, um, this is why we do our dual rankings all the time, because it's very hard to rate your personal love versus actual quality. But for me, um, again, we, we discussed this before, but I, yeah, it's, it's in my top three, I think it might be number three. And this is, this is a lot of it's based on enjoyment, but Inglorious Bastards is my number one. I'd put Django at number two and then this one at number three. I would agree. I would absolutely agree with that that ranking. Um, and I'm, like, uh, I'm not I'm not taking away anything from the other films. I I have a very healthy appreciation for Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill One and Two and um, the Grindhouse Collection and mm-hmm. and the previous work and obviously all his writing as well because he's written a lot of films that he hasn't actually directed yeah. as well, but. Correct. When it comes down to it, I think he's, I think he finally learned what worked and what didn't for him when he made Kill Bill. Like Kill Bill's brilliant, but I feel like he almost uses it as a testing ground to see what what works well for him and what doesn't. Yeah, and then he takes all of that and creates his greatest work out of it, which for me is Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards is in well and truly inside my top 10 favorite movies. It's, it's, I think it is. I think that's what I said. I think I did say that. I better have said that. I have to look at that. But yeah, I look, I completely agree. Um, uh, Inglorious Bastards is just so enjoyable for me. I've watched it so many times. It doesn't Um, get old. And it's, again, it's that dialogue. You just, and, it is in my top 10. Thank goodness for that. I'm not just making shit up. Yes, <laughs> it's in my top 10. It's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. Like, I've watched it so many times. And Django, I've only seen tw- 
twice at home, once at the cinemas. Um, Hateful Eight, I think I've seen about three times now um, at home and once in the cinemas. So, um, yeah, look, I think I still like Django more. Uh, Django feels to me like it's a longer story. Like it, Django, I feel like it feels longer, but yes. I think I enjoy it a little bit more than this, than, than hopefully. Oh, actually, I don't know now thinking about it. It's so hard to think. Do you know why it feels longer? It's because um, Django is actually a longer story. There is more that transpires in it, whereas The Hateful Eight, very little transpires, but it's so dialogue-heavy as well. Or or it's not even... Comparatively, I I think the the script is only 14 pages or something, I, I, I read. It's a very short script, but... The well, the lead has so little role as well. Choose, yeah. Or so little uh, it, dialogue. It up, yeah, a lot of it is just looks and glances. It it feel mm. it, it is an old western because it relies very heavily on its imagery to get it through telling the story, mm. and it builds this incredible tension. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and it's. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is. If Hateful Eight's number two, or if Django is number two for me. But it's one of those two. I'm dead certain on mine, Django is number two. And that is just because by the end of Django, I found there were more things I enjoyed than there were by the end of The Hateful Eight. I I think The Hateful Eight is an excellent movie, and I think it's actually a better made movie Mm. than Django. I I think it's a lot better made. But I personally just enjoyed Django a little bit more. There was just more there for me to. I don't know. I I, I just loved that there was more Christoph Waltz. He worked with that, him again. Yeah, that's that's a big that's an Uber bingo right there. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. A bingo. That's a bingo. Oh dear. Do you remember when um, he won the Oscar and Penelope uh, Cruz gave it to him? Yeah. The Oscar and Penelope. That's an Uber bingo. Oh, Christoph Fultz. He's so adorable, though. Hey, He's like a fish out of water. We're going to see him on screen again very soon for Tarantino's buddy Robert Rodriguez. Oh? Yeah, Alita Battle Angel coming out in December. Let's go line up and get our tickets for that. Rodriguez directing from a script by himself and James Cameron, who produces... Yes, okay, we're going to go see that. Yes! Because Cameron, ah. Cameron wanted to direct it, but he dove into Avatar Land, so he had to pick another director to do it, and he got Robert Rodriguez on board. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to go see this a lot. I'm, I, I'm keen. I, it looks weird, and I, I don't exactly know how I feel, but I think, given the team behind it, it's going to be quite good. I had no idea that Christoph Fultz was in um, Horrible Bosses 2. Have you I seen, hadn't seen Horrible Bosses 2. Yeah, now I have. When 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 did you watch it? This week? Uh, last Monday. And? <laughs> I would really liked it. I loved both of them so much, but I, I hadn't seen Horrible Bosses 2, and I loved it. Yeah, it's just it's really him good. and Chris Pine as father and son. <laughs> yeah, how good is that? It's so good. It's hilarious. Oh, I'm and you hadn't seen it. It's all no, lot I know. of fun. <laughs> and also there's the... It's Christoph Waltz playing a very Hans Lander, um, yes. Glorious Bastards type character where he's very friendly, but very clever, doesn't mint his words, and he will get you. He's almost typecast in that role, and it's But he not plays even it a... so well. It's not a problem that he is. You know what he is? He's this generation's John Malkovich. That's what he is. <laughs> he's just the villain. But he's good at it, though. That's why. It was and just not- an inspired bit of casting when Tarantino got him for the bastards. <laughs> well, I love that. I love that during an interview, he, they were talking about why they cast him, and he was talking about how he needed someone that was fluent in French, English, German, and Italian. And they didn't end up using the French part, but you know they got him. They they had Christoph Waltz come in, and he was the only one that was perfectly fluent in all of them. They had the same so thing like, for yeah. when they cast Diane Kruger for the role. Yeah, exactly. She's the same because because she acts in 
in different country films as well. Like she plays in French films, she does German films and American films, all with the correct accent. And I, th- I don't know about Christoph, but I know she did her own dubs for. Inglorious I think he did Bastards. the same. Yeah, I think he did the same. Doesn't surprise me. No, They're it's just- fantastic. Superheroes. I I can't fault Inglorious Bastards. It is a brilliant film. Yeah, there's not a single thing I'd I'd fault on it. Mike Myers as a Brit. Yes. Yeah, I know. Uh, And Eli Roth as the Bear Jew. (laughs) And it's got BJ Novak in it. It does have BJ. Yeah, fantastic. We need need to watch it again soon. And we only watched it recently. Mm Yeah, I'd watch it again. again. Yeah, I'd do it. Uh, Glorious Bastards. Sorry, um, Tarantino Chats. We've indulged our Tarantino Tarantino talk. Well, for those of you that haven't tuned in the last few weeks, we have a new segment called Hold My Coke. Big surprising things, big events, big what kind of moments of the week. Yeah. And Drew, what is this week's Hold My Coke moment? This week's Hold My Coke moment is the NRL Grand Final. And in particular, the disgusting display by the NRL to allow a shoulder charge to be forgiven so that golden boy Billy Slater can play in the grand final. Now, for those of you that that hate sports... No, you got there. Uh, For those of you that hate sport and have no idea what we're talking about, don't worry, we will not try to look at the sport aspect of it, but more the... Not the legal aspect, but the the yeah of the ethics of it. Okay, so the issue is, you are in the in rugby league. You're not allowed to tackle with just your shoulder, as in, put your arm up against your um, ribs and thrust your shoulder into someone else and slam into them with your shoulder because it's dangerous. If you make contact with the head, with the torso, you can hurt someone really badly because the shoulders are so strong. So yeah. they're banned, not allowed at all. Um, Minim- minimum one match ban. Yeah, for on, that? on the weekend. Yeah. On the weekend, then, um, yeah, the Melbourne Storm that Billy Slater plays for was versing Drew's team, the Cronulla Sharks. But that's not the point, and I swear it's not the point. I'm going for Melbourne in the grand final. It's, it's but I agree with Drew. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of Australia. Um, in that Billy Slater even, to save even my own- the. Yeah, even your own team says that it, that it, it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they sided with him on it. That's ridiculous. So what happened was um, the the Sharks were trying to score a try. One of the players was trying to you know, score some points for them. And so the Melbourne Storm player in Billy Slater ran up um, and just got to him in a, in a, in a heroic effort of trying to stop um, the Sharks player from getting the try. Shoulder charged him out into um, beyond the, the, the sideline and therefore out of play and no try awarded. Um it was put on report because it was a shoulder charge. Game continues on. A penalty for it because it's a incorrect. It's a foul play move, um, and game goes on. So this week on Tuesday, um, Billy Slater had his review uh, from the judiciary, NRL judi- judiciary, to, to find out whether he was guilty of it or whether he'll be let off. Uh, I think most of rugby league world has been saying guilty. Everyone thought that yep. had this thought in the back of their mind that oh somehow Billy Slater is going to probably going to get away with it, but no, they can't do that. Other piece of thing uh, of um, uh, a little tidbit for it is that this is his last game. He's retiring at the end of this season, so the grand final in which Melbourne have made it to, you know, this is his last game. And if he had been suspended last week, would have been his last game, and he didn't get a massive send off. Which is, it happens. He, he, he could have gotten injured and he's out. So anyway, he's retired. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Billy Slater has been released from the shoulder charge and said to be not guilty of, of obviously, shoulder charging. There's video footage of it. All angles show it was a shoulder charge. Billy Slater could have tackled in another way, not using his shoulder, and gotten the same result of pushing the guy out into the sideline area, out of play, game stops, no ta- no penalty, Melbourne get the ball, happy days. But he shoulder charged, and he got let off for it. And that is quite an ethical dilemma now for the rugby league world, or rugby league judiciary. Reason being is that they've now set a precedent 
it means that from now on, if anyone is in the same situation, they can reference this landmark decision to rule a shoulder charge as not a shoulder charge, and they should be let off because the precedent has been set. Otherwise, it's going to show ridiculous bias towards the Melbourne Storm and Billy Slater under the circumstances in which he's retiring from the game, which is absolutely unacceptable. You cannot do that for anybody. As as much of a um, a a a beam a beacon of light Billy Slater has been for rugby league in inspiring children to play the game, in the game style that he plays. He's been phenomenal. There is no doubting that. I think he's a, a bit of an arrogant jerk, but of course he is. He's got a big head on him. <coughs> but, but, he's been fantastic for the game. There is no doubting that. Not even I can doubt that. I know that. But he shoulder-charged. Again, I'm going for the team that he plays for this weekend, but even I think... You can't be let off for doing the wrong thing. And he did. And again, when he retires next year, and it happens again, those players now have to be let off or else it just shows that Rugby League or National Rugby League in this country is a joke. Drew, go. Oh, if, if only I had a platform with which to express my anger and frustration about this. Oh, wait. That's right. Anyway. Ta-da! Look, it's... Yeah, it... it I, I like you. I 100% I appreciate what he has given to the game and what he has done to encourage future generations to want to play. He's... There are... Look, the list goes on with the wonderful things he's done. That right there, that's the problem I have with this. He is an exceptionally knowledgeable player who has a very deep understanding of the game and the intricacies of the game and the do's and don'ts. He went and made a shoulder charge. He did it knowingly. He didn't accidentally happen to bump the guy with his shoulder. He knowingly went and made a shoulder charge to guarantee that they would not score against his team. He went and did it. He should have to acknowledge the fact that there is a punishment for that and he should wear it, not challenge it because, oh, I don't want to miss my last game. No, 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 no. You knew what you were doing. You went and did it. And now you want to go, oh, but no, but you should still let me play. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Face there the are consequences. Ethics. Yeah, face the consequences. The fact that the... A number of the sports programs, whether they be radio or television, that I happened to tune in to during the week as they were discussing it before it went before the judicial board, they all said, why are we here discussing this? It's a shoulder charge. He misses a game. It's as straightforward as that. Why is this becoming bigger than Ben-Hur? And yes, I understand we're feeding it by giving it airtime here. But the fact of the matter is, it's unethical. He's used his position... A position that, you know, he, he's worked hard for years to to promote the game and to promote it for, for youth and to and to give the game a good image. And then he's went he's gone ahead and just squandered that that wonderful work that he's done. He's he's gone and used it to to protect mm. himself. He's thrown Someone- all of that away. Someone um used the um the idea, not uh, in some ways an excuse, but then quickly shut down that they weren't making an excuse for him. Um, in that they said that for 70% of his rugby league career, shoulder charges have been legal. And what the move that he made was legal. And this, for the last 30% of his career, playing a different style, this might have been an instinctual, I'm going to get this guy at how I am programmed to get him out. And he did that. However... It's against the rules anyway, so that doesn't matter. That's fine. He did what he did, but then he has to face the consequences, which is a penalty against his team and a week on the sideline. Unfortunately for him, it happens to be his last game, so therefore that week for him is is it. But shit happens. It's what happens. That's what happens when you make a mistake like that. You own the consequences of the mistake you made. And he didn't, 
and he's been let off. And again, Rugby League in Australia has now said that that move that we've seen that has been deemed illegal before, uh, one other player got off for something similar. A lot of people during the week have been saying that in uh, round two of this year, a player did almost the same thing. Correct. Almost the same thing, but they had their arm up and it wasn't a shoulder charge. It looked like it was from some of the camera angles, so it was put on report. Turns out it wasn't, so he was released. This move was a shoulder charge, so he he shouldn't have been let off, and he's been let off. So again, Billy Slater, as much as he's done for the game, his journey ends you know, this weekend of 2018, the NRL Grand Final, but this decision lives on well beyond his career. So I don't know. It's, n- I, it's never going to uh, yeah. bring him any anything good, ever. It's never going to yield anything wonderful for him. Yeah, but he, but 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 see the 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 most frustrating thing is we're talking about it now. All the media is talking about it now. Most. Um, casual watchers are probably talking about it now as well, but it's going to disappear into the background and in about four weeks' time, no one's going to know about it. It's going to be... The Rugby League will probably stop being spoken about about. It disappears over the summer for us, and so that'll happen again, and the Billy Slater shoulder charge thing will disappear, and it won't come up, and it'll only be be behind closed doors in future judicial hearings where this idea of the Billy Slater shoulder charge gets brought up again. Besides that, we're not going to hear about it. And it's not fair. He did the wrong thing. They're letting it go. It's so simple. Anyway, uh, I'm still trying to get myself tickets to go to the grand final. I'm hoping to have them secured. I hope they've been secured um, because Svenja and I are supposed to be going along to the grand final again. Tickets coming through or not pending, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I'm going to that game. I'm going for Melbourne. I'm disappointed that uh, Billy Slater will be playing, but anyway, I'm going for Melbourne. Anyway, uh, one of my best friends goes for the Storm, so I'm going for the Storm. That's it. Well, well, I have no words for that, except disappointment. But you know, <laughs> what is funny though is is uh, so my mate um, goes for the Storm has said that under normal circumstances, he'd be told to get effed and why does he go for that team and he that everyone hopes that his team loses. This week, however, he's been getting lots of like backslaps and stuff and like, oh, yeah, mate, I hope, yeah, yeah, I hope you beat the Chooks. Yeah, beat, beat the Sydney Roosters. Ha <laughs> ha, go Melbourne, that kind of stuff. And he's really surprised. He's like, what's going on? It's because no one in Sydney really likes the Roosters because they have an enormous, um, very intelligent system of rotting the National Rugby League's salary cap and getting all the big players under their their uh, team, somehow. No other team can manage it, but they can. Yeah, that's because they're eastern suburbs. But it's also because the, they're it's all the money. <laughs> but also because their uh, I think CEO is a fantastic car dealership owner and likes to yeah probably help them out with a couple of new cars every now and then. Of oh, course. you want to sell your car? Do you? Oh, that's okay. No worries. Let me give you a car for free, and then I can sell it for you. Oh, look, you got some money out of it. Um, I'm, yeah, look, look, that's all well and good, but remember who... Remember where most of the hatred comes from. Most of the hatred for the Roosters comes from South Sydney, and they don't have a leg to stand on. They have Russell Crowe and Mike Whitney who brought them back from the dead. <laughs> Mike Whitney. Did you, no, but did, also... Did you watch the I, Did you watch the mm. game with the Rabbitohs? Yeah. Did you watch them lose? Did you see yeah. when the camera panned to Russell Crowe? <laughs> no, I didn't. What did he do? It was gold. I, I don't think I've seen him look that miserable for the last <laughs> two years. The last two seasons, I haven't seen him look that absolutely pissed off. <laughs> Drew, am I wrong? Am I wrong to not like South Sydney at all? Do you mean do you think I'm wrong? like the Roosters or No, no, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Do you think am I wrong to, to oh. dislike them so strongly? No, I dislike them quite strongly as well, though for different reasons to you. Mm-hmm. What are your reasons again though? I know mine, mine um, are quite specific. Uh, mine is mine is the um I have some bitterness towards them for the 
bias shown towards them throughout the 2014 rugby league season where they were found to be cheating yep, and then still fair. were able to continue cheating and then ended up being the yep. Bulldogs. Bulldogs had a fantastic year that year, but uh, they ended up beating the Bulldogs in grand final um, while known to be cheating, but that's okay. They yep. thought they'd just banned the substance they were cheating with at the end of the season, allowed them to continue using it that's uh, that right. season. No other team had access yep. to it, just the Rabbitohs. But anyway, that happened. Um, also, yep. the bias shown throughout that game, the fact that they made all the pre-game celebrations Rabbitohs specific and the Bulldogs got nothing for it. It was like we were an out-of-town team. I was just so like gobsmacked with the bias that was being shown. Other reasons are that they're the bandwagon team. If someone goes, what team do you go for in rugby league? I don't watch rugby league. Uh, the Rabbitohs, that's who I go for. Yeah, go for... No, you don't. You don't. Um... The yeah, fact yeah. that um, they were so poorly operated that they got expelled from, from rugby league in this country. And um, yet, despite being probably the only team that actually went bankrupt in rugby league and was brought mm-hmm. back with the help of the Bulldogs, um, to be brought back <laughs> and then for the fans to go, we've won more premierships than you have. Yeah, well, you've gone bankrupt more times than any other team has in the rugby league. So you can't claim that. You can't be like, oh, look at us with our 21 premierships versus the Roosters on their 13. The Roosters on their 13, have they been around the whole time? Remember? Do you remember early on when rugby league was completely biased towards South Sydney in the first couple of years when you won all of them? All those ones that you're ahead on? Like, it's they're just... Yeah, it's just frustrating players that are just they seem as the nice team because they're the Rabbitohs they're South Sydney no they're just all just jerks go on what's your reason oh my my reason is completely to do with North Sydney Bears um basically there were there were a number of teams that got the axe or had to deal with a merger in the late 90s and early 2000s from the NRL when um, when it got changed over to the Super League and then into the current format of the NRL. A um, number of federation teams were booted, which included South Sydney, who went bankrupt and, and just couldn't recover from it. And the North Sydney Bears were one of them. Now, the Bears are actually a very important team to me and my family and um, quite crucial as a club in my existence on this earth because mm-hmm. my parents worked at North Sydney Leagues Club and that's how they met. Um, I've been a lifelong Bears fan and the Bears had a shot at coming back to the NRL and thanks to the ridiculous, stupid amount of um, support from celebrities, South Sydney managed to snag that spot and left the Bears in an awkwardly horrible position where they wound up becoming the feeder for them. So they've been taking on young Bears players for some time until the end of this season, wonderfully enough, where they have moved on to a new club. Thank goodness. The Roosters. Exactly. Which is why I can't hate the Roosters for this year. (laughs) They get a pass from from helping the Bears escape from South Sydney's wrath. Well, I don't understand why North Sydney should be a, a feeder team for South Sydney. That that makes absolutely zero sense to me. It would make mm-hmm. more sense for the Bears to be a feeder to the Sea Eagles. And I agree. For any of you that know me, Manly are my most hated team in the entire competition. Oh, I, I think that's everyone. Them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They it's, get their own category. It's everyone except for Manly supporters. We, we know one of you that listens to our show um, who proudly wears his Manly jersey a lot. His asshole jersey. That's, um, that's mm-hmm. someone that used to work with us who now works next door. Yes. Who wears his jersey a lot. We Yes, yes we mean you. <clears throat> um, yes. But, <laughs> yeah. And the whole hating Manly thing, if you're a Bears supporter, you hate Manly just that little bit more because you merged with them and then they threw us away. So, you know. Yeah. 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 Anyway... Anyway, that's my rant of NRL <laughs> for, for the evening. Uh, up the Bears. That was, 
Yes, indeed. That was Hold My Coke. Yes, that and was now, Hold My Coke. <laughs> and now... Like, and now, yeah, but before and, and now, and, it actually, not only did it feel like a Hold My Coke, I just realised I've been drinking a bottle of Coke while we did it. <laughs> oh, Drew, come on, don't actually give into it. Coca-Cola, give us some free things. Um, I, I, I had a bottle of vanilla Coke in my hand for that entire segment. <laughs> I oh, I love realize. it. See, I love to enjoy a refreshing glass of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Good drink. The lighter way what's to this? enjoy cola. What's their, what's their slogan? I can't remember. Open happiness? Is it still open happiness? I feel like it should be open happiness. I'm looking on the bottle. www.coca-colajourney.com.au It was enjoy- Remember it was Coca-Cola enjoy? I remember- Oh, I missed that. And then it became ding do 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 do. And then they made that song mm. with Butch Walker and um, CeeLo Green and yep. uh, Brennan Uri. <coughs> and Patrick Stump. Yeah, open happiness. Yep. I think it's open well, happiness. Anyway, open happiness. Coca-Cola. Love that taste. Uh, yeah, cool. sponsor us. Yeah, hashtag please. Hashtag sponsor us. Hashtag Coca-Cola. Hashtag. 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 Hashtag 2018. Hashtag. Uh, Kenton the steering team. <laughs> hashtag TBT. I don't know what we're throwing back to. But anyway, um, on to this segment. And of course, if you'd like to be on the show in the future, just make sure you leave us a, a line or a comment or anything like that. Just reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, in real life, via email, whatever the email address is. Um, and uh, and yeah. no, we do not have a Twitter <laughs> handle. So no. no, we don't because I can't bother Twitter. We've, yeah, we've I only just graduated have... to Instagram. Exactly. I only have Twitter so I can complain to Optus about the Poor, awful quality of my internet. Um, that's all. You I got use Twitter, Twitter for. just to complain at Optus. <laughs> yeah, it works though. Ah, I it love works. It. That's how you get through it. Um, especially when you quote them the speed test results, and they say, "Oh, that doesn't look right." Well, it's looked <laughs> like the same for the last week. So you're telling me it doesn't look right? It looks pretty normal to me. Anyway. Um, anyway, we digress. Yes, we digress. If you'd like to be on the show. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you on it. Just make sure you can even comment on our SoundCloud page under the, the episode. Um, and of course, if you're on the show, you're very, very likely to win, especially if it's your first or even second. You, you're very high chance of winning um, or being inducted into our Sick Kent of the Week Hall of Fame. And that brings Woo! us now onto the Sick Kent of the Week award for this week. Now, I've got a nominee. I've got just one nominee. Yes. We we agreed on that nominee, but off air. Yes. This is a total idiot that uh, did a stupid total idiot thing, um, which is, I'll read it to you now, first time flyer confuses toilet with emergency exit mid-flight. Alrighty. Yes, it's an idiot on a plane. There was pandemonium on a go air flight when a passenger who'd never flown before, tried to open an emergency exit door, mistaking it for the toilet. I would have thought that maybe the view of outside and the ground kilometers below would have given it away, but anyway, it didn't. Passengers on Saturday's flight from Delhi to Patna, that's the second time I've said that wrong, Patna, India, said the man, a first-time flyer aged in his late 20s, began tugging on the door saying he needed to use the washroom urgently. Cabin crew wrestled the man away from the door and managed to keep the man in his seat for the remainder of the flight, which landed safely. The man was then handed over to India's Central Industrial Security Force, a branch of the military that manages uh, airport security, and was questioned by local police. Um, Local police chief uh, XYZ um, said there was pandemonium as the man attempted to unlock the exit door. Police said the man, uh, he managed to unlock the rear door, but couldn't open it due to cabin pressure. However, the airline said the doors could not be unlocked, um, which is an interesting fact, actually, by the way, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, after questioning the man, the police deemed his actions to be innocent. There was no ulterior motive behind his act, and he was released. Now, this uh, <coughs> sick Kent of the week is also a, a dual um, crown award because there's another man, and this man got it. I, I don't. I don't think he got it before, but he's going to get it here. This might actually be his second time getting it for the same award. But anyway, 
Earlier this year, a man was um, detained for 15 days and fined $14,700 for opening a plane's emergency door just after the plane landed, just as the fastened seatbelt sign went off, because he felt stuffy. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> Poor thing. I've got the facts on that one. Um, the 25-year-old yes. man had just arrived in China from some other province in China. Uh, he said as passengers were preparing to deplane, he began feeling hot and pushed down on the window handle, not realizing it would open the door and deploy the plane's emergency <laughs> exit. <laughs> you idiot. Oh, it's God. It's just too perfect um, for words. <laughs> just like, are you serious? Uh, the, this article that I'm reading on news.com.au actually has the heading then, can an exit door really be opened mid-flight? I know the answer is no. Um, where is it is? The answer is no. Because a passenger, no matter how strong, would never be able to open an emergency door mid-flight. It's physically impossible, quotes, uh, quoted by Jason Rubin- Rubinowitz. Um, when at cruising altitude, the pressure difference between the outside of the plane and the inside of the plane, which is pressurized, creates a situation where the door cannot open. Cabin doors, including emergency exit doors, um, open inward. So when a pressurized plane cruises in the sky, there is a tremendous amount of pressure that pushes against the plane's interior, and it's more than any human could pull open a door against. Yeah. I'm at a loss for words. It's just brilliant. (laughs) There's a reason this is our winner. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But uh, for Christ's sake, like, are you serious? You didn't think to look out the window and see the clouds or the ground kilometers below you like no i'll just i need to go to the toilet so i'll just open this door that's really hard to open that says exit on it like are you serious and the other guy like what a dumb shit are you serious you wanted you have felt stuffy so you thought you'd open the window but there's a reason they don't open and then the door fell off and this emergency thing got deployed (laughs) (laughs) like it's like, like something out of Get, get Smart. Yeah. How did they get dressed in the morning? I don't understand it. Outrageous. One, one, anyway. one pant leg at a time. <laughs> yeah. You're probably wrong a couple of times. Anyway, <laughs> Wingus and Dingus, you are this week's Sick Kent of the Week. Muzzle <laughs> Yes, and that draws to a close another fantastic episode of um, Kent and the Steering Team. Uh, Drew, thank you very much for joining me once again. Thank uh, you, as we, No worries. Uh, it's been fun unraveling the uh, issues of the world. and um, We didn't even get to the world issues. <laughs> no, that's okay. We got to important ones. We got through um, Quentin Tarantino and we got through um, rugby league news with Hold My Coke. And we also spoke about Wingus and Dingus and their plane troubles, struggling to understand what exit means. Um, but it's been great having you all along for the ride. Again, if you want to be on the show, just reach out to us. Here comes DJ Quads for another episode. Thank you very much, everyone. Yep.